Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. This is the second part of my interview with John Bello. I actually told John I wanted to do this around the Super Bowl time, and so I broke it up into two parts. It turns out we went a little bit longer than uh, 15 minutes, so this is the second part of it. He's a little bit older than me, but I remember him back in the day, a very decisive leader, and really helped to put football cards uh, up there and put football up there. I thank him for his uh, bold moves that he made, and thanks sponsors, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, ComC.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Huggins & Scott Auctions, and Upper Deck, Panini, and Tops. Again, football cards are here to stay. <laughs> and if you turn the clock back into the late 80s, early 90s, those were the crazy days of football really becoming really mainstream in our hobby. And so I thank you, John, and thank you others, Lud Denny that we bring up and Bill Chandler, who was Mr. Pro Bowl, saw every year in Hawaii, had a good uh, chat with him too. He was in the background there, but and have had him on before. But again, those were exciting days back in the 80s and 90s of uh, the formative years of football cards. So thanks everybody. Be back again uh, tomorrow, but here is the rest of the John Bellow interview. So I sat there with Mickey Mantle. This is my hero. I used to cry when he struck out. And he's there showing me his legs, all the scars on his legs from the various operations he had over the years. What do you say to the guy? This is a guy that you grew up with. And I'm not the only one because he was a hero. I have every Mickey Mantle card done. I don't have the 52 tops. The one I had was cut, sheared off, I just sold it off. So I don't have that. I'm not going to spend $50,000 to get it. But every card that, you know, I've got every card. They're in a box somewhere, nicely packaged. And I want to give them to my grandson. And they're starting to realize who all these guys were. But And I have all my Mickey Mantle stuff. It was great. He signed a number of things for me. Not that night, but I just sat there and I never got a picture taken with him, which I'm sorry I didn't. But he was a big part of my life, as with everybody else. John, we've talked about Lud Denny. Yeah. He's gone. You've moved on and you were there at that point. I've sold my company now, so I've moved on. But I think my legacy in the industry is partly through my lieutenants, the people that used to work for me. I'm wondering about your lieutenants that used to work for you that are still in the industry or Lud Denny's lieutenants, because Lud was larger than life, but he certainly didn't do it all himself. Was this you and Lud working together or did he have a bunch of people working for him affiliated with you or vice versa? Or was oh, it was Lud me. You guys getting and, in a room and working it out. Yeah. Lud had his own company and he had a printing facility. He went out and got other licenses. But as it related to the NFL, we had total control over it. Ultimately, he worked with my people and through my people and, and through me and, and John Flood. After a while, once we got the whole the trading card thing up and going, I moved on to other things. That was my modus operandi. NFL properties was unique in that when I arrived in 1979, it was a tiny, closely held operating company whose major purpose was to protect the trademarks. There wasn't much going on in terms of revenue streams, maybe $6 million in royalty revenues coming in. The biggest promotional activity they had was punt, pass, and kick. They had licensing programs, primarily with Sears, and it was basically flame-retarded t-shirts that you could buy at Sears or JCPenney. It wasn't that exciting. It was really an undermarketed asset. And when I came in, I'm action-oriented. I thought there was a lot we could do. Frankly, I started out in the promotional sponsorships area, doing the same kinds of things with the NFL that that the Olympics were doing. Speaking of the Olympics, how much credit should Peter Uberoth get for changing the way 
professional sports are marketed. He was what, 80, 84, something like that. He showed the world what could really happen if you really got behind brand building in the Olympics. Not that the Olympics needed that, but they, uh, they also had Coke and major sponsors promoting it right. and TV was coming on, but he was innovative and he extended himself. He extended the, the guardrails. I don't think he had anybody watching the guardrails. I had guardrails all over the place. They, they, they sent Roger Goodell with me everywhere I went to make sure I didn't do anything that they're now doing, licensed DraftKings, which back then would have been oh boy. enough to cut off your hands. I, I remember doing credit cards. It, you know, I had to go to every club and, and get permission to do an instrument of debt, which turned out to be a huge thing for everything. Again, it all goes back to promote and enhance. So the first deal we did was with Canon Camera. I, I wanted to call it the official camera of the NFL. The lawyers wouldn't allow it because the lawyers are sales prevention department. They yeah. said there's no plausible connection to the game. Same lawyers that said, I can't make a Redskin hat black because that's not their primary color. It, it, and all that stuff, we just pushed ahead and we did. And it worked out really well. And over time, I was able to hire some great people, both in the promotional business and, and then ultimately the licensing business with a thing called NFL Pro Line, where we actually put stuff on the field. And we have them in our trading cards. We've got uh, Mike Dicka wearing the sweater in the 85 Super Bowl. And that just exploded the business. Now these guys have to wear the hats now after they go sit on the bench. The thing I think I left NFL properties, not only did we pioneer stuff um, and, and make breakthroughs and basically showed people how you can really do all the stuff. We had obviously the best game, most TV coverage. Our sport was popular during the holiday season, so you could buy a lot of presents. We owned all the team shops. It was always about the NFL gear. And we just merchandised it well, and we did it collectively. And I was like the product manager for all that stuff. But ultimately, we had people that went off to become, for example, the commissioner of Major League Soccer. Frank Bruno went out and started a marketing company. Arlen Cantarian did the USTA. Rick Dudley is head of Omicron. So we spawned a lot of people that came in as smart marketing guys, but not necessarily sports related, but they understood the objectives and the strategies of what we wanted to do and tried to leverage that with sponsors and licensees so they could make money. So everybody could make money and the fans were happy. And I think the trading card thing did it more than anything. Not only was it an enhancement tool, people thought they could make a few bucks doing this. <laughs> and I think that's what ruined it over time. Looked at that stadium from above. It was all red. <laughs> I think virtually every other person, if not 60 to 70% of the people in those stands had a licensed item on them. A lot of them had game jerseys and I know what those game jerseys cost. When I first got there, we weren't doing NFL game jerseys because right. the people at properties just didn't push it. Uh, the, I was very aggressive on trying to get people to wear what the pros wore and they did. So, so it's coming back around to the apparel and the cards. Logo yeah. seven. With uh, Fanatics is made all this money with the apparel, yeah. the caps and the jerseys and all that. And they're moving so aggressively into cards to try to get that same blanket coverage of every fan needs to be clothed in his favorite team's uh, stuff and, right. and be able to get cards. I would license anyone who could pay a guarantee and had a product that would reach an audience uh, that wasn't being covered. A good example is when I first got to properties, there were one or two hat licensees. I ended up licensing four or five or six or seven hat licensees down to the trucker guy who would sell hats to the the, the whistle stops on the highway because that was a different market. And as a result, everybody made money and it really promoted the game so everybody could have a hat. The trading card uh, situation now is there are no licensees but for fanatics. Is that what I'm hearing? 
That's what it'll be. They've got the exclusive and they'll have that for all the sports with both properties and players associations. Tops had baseball, yeah. uh, but they've made a deal with football and basketball. The only one they don't have is hockey, which upper deck is hockey. Coke and Pepsi, I think that little bit of friction that makes the oyster a pearl, you need a little bit of a battle to bring out the best. It needs to be win, win, win. That's exactly. Category. It sounds like that's what you tried to encourage. That's what I've tried to encourage. But when one part of it can get too greedy, you mess up the equilibrium of the ecosystem. I I think that's a fair statement. And I give my credit for trying to understand what those licensees were doing and what they had to go through. Actually, I learned a lot from them, which helped pay off for me when I did my own business because they were rugged individualists. The owners were rugged individualists. And you try to make it a win for everyone. And it really blossoms. So now that the merchandising piece of the NFL now and you spots on games now where they're actually selling merchandise. That didn't happen back in my day. We had a hard time just getting Super Bowl tickets to entertain our licensees and our sponsors. It worked out. I had a good run there. I had a better run starting my own beverage business. But the irony was when I was at 410 Park Avenue, that was the NFL offices. NFL properties grew to the point where we had two floors and the league office had two floors. Our, our offices were nicely appointed because we were a revenue producing kind of organization and they were a trade association. We didn't report to them per se. We reported to an executive committee. And so I left in 1993. And shortly thereafter, NFL Properties left 410 Park Avenue and they went down the street a little bit. And the law firm that represented us for trademarks and and intellectual property actually rented the floor that I was in. We were a floor above them and turned my office into a conference room. Fast forward six or seven years later, I'm selling the company. I hired that law firm because they knew me and I felt like I had a good relationship with them and I wanted to go with people I knew and I felt the responsibility and I actually owed them something. So we signed them up. So January 8th, 2001, we're in my old office at NFL Properties with 15 Pepsi lawyers and maybe three or four lawyers representing us signing papers. And I'm there with my wife and I'm going, this is pretty bizarre. We're sitting in my old office here. And a lot of the ghosts were around. I remember the drawers where I had all my trading cards and stuff. So I got a little card out, which was a Christmas card that we did this year that had the lizard head with a Santa Claus hat, lizard being the Sobe thing, with a Santa Claus hat on it and a Pepsi ball at the end. The joy of Sobe. You know, what could be merrier than this? And I wrote a note to the commissioner. I remember exactly what I said. Dear Paul, I'm sitting in my old office at NFL Properties, signing a deal to sell my company to Pepsi-Cola for $370 million. Since I have you to thank, I wanted you to be the first to know. Now, you might be wondering what I'm going to do with all that money. How does the Los Angeles lizard sound? (laughs) That's a little story. It has nothing to do with trading cards per se, but trading cards were a big part of this. Uh, How we really made it work for everybody. Not so much Tops, but ultimately I think Tops did okay with better cards. It elevated their game, elevated everybody's game. It promoted the game and its players, ultimately, to a broader audience. That's that's the win-win. I wanted to ask about Pro Bowl and how he felt about it, which I thought was huge for him. And the trading card album we made, which was the Pro Bowl. I had the best 14 years of my life going over there every year for a couple of weeks, meeting the players, getting to know the players, actually getting beat up by Reggie White because we were signing players. He didn't like that. He called me disingenuous. And my daughter was with me. She was maybe 10 years old. She said, what's disingenuous mean? So I had to explain that to her. Bill did a great job of promoting, enhancing the game, creating licensed products around a game. And I don't think it's half of what it was by not being there. I also want to say to Jim that your publication, I think, really did, was a foundation for the whole trading card business. I think I might have been 
in a couple of articles back then. I still have those. A great publication. And I think you did a great job with that. The whole concept of a perfect storm can be pejorative, but in reality, all three of us got in a perfect storm that was the the tailwinds <laughs> of being at the right place at the right time and really having a, a great experience in the hobby and in the sport. And so thank you, John, for your contributions and Bill. As thank well. you. What a, what a great hobby and sport that we've been able to enjoy for a lifetime. I want to give a shout out to Kit Young. Because without the Kit Young Show, I would have never met you. I would have never gotten into intense memorabilia like I did later on. And John Bellow helped me because in 89, he gave me a license for Pro Bowl, and he paid for our mortgage for 12 years on my house. He paid for my son's education. So I owe uh, John Bellow a lot. You know, I didn't do anything. I did my job. The whole idea was to work with people. They should do well. We should do well. The NFL clearly has done well. I've never seen better games. I saw Roger on one of the games sitting up there with Anthony Munoz. And at my first Pro Bowl, I took my kids to Macapoo Beach and uh, Anthony, and we got a nice picture taken. So I sent the picture to, um, to Roger and Roger said, I wish I had it. I would have showed it to Anthony. I said he would have remembered. Anthony was a good man. Guys, thanks. A real delight reconnecting to both you guys. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks, I, you, 